Welcome to Pod Parks, a podcast for the park-minded, brought to you by World Urban Parks. In this podcast, we'll embark on a journey through the world of parks, from intimate community parks to sprawling urban national parks and everything in between. Join us as we explore the beauty and diversity of these urban oases. Meet the individuals and organizations working tirelessly to preserve and improve them. Our guide will be Alice Landin, Research Development Advisor for World Urban Parks. So come along as we rediscover the green spaces that make our cities livable. Welcome back to Pod Parks. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to share this space with you. Today, we're going to have our very first interview guest. If it's your first time joining us or you need a quick reminder, we're going to be rotating between theme-based episodes narrated by me, so you can go back to last week's episode to catch up on that, as well as full interviews with park professionals from around the world. They'll tell us a little bit more about their work, and they'll share with us insights and knowledge that they've gained that will help us build the future of parks. So with that being said, here is our very first interview guest, Leticia Lozano. Welcome to Pod Parks, a podcast by World Urban Parks. I am Alice Landon, and with me today is Leticia Lozano, co-founder and director of Masia Studio from Mexico. Leticia, thank you so much for being here. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Leticia, we are going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is cities for children. But before we begin, I would love to know more about you. How did you end up in the field of play and urban childhood development? How long do you have? <laughs> um, I'm a trained architect. And when I finished architecture school, I knew I didn't want to design buildings and houses and things like that. So I knew I was more interested in the life between buildings, like Jan Gill says. So I then moved on to studying a master's in narrative environments. And that led me to work in various multidisciplinary teams to solve different problems, mostly related to um, public spaces. And that's that's where I found, I guess, kind of my calling or my passion. So I was part of a team Uh, at a project that was called European Art-Led Regeneration Project, something like that. (laughs) And through the MA, we had the chance to uh, intervene for European cities. And all of them were, well, now that I think about it, all of them were about transforming the behavior of people. And the majority of those transformations were related to play. Now that I, you know, theorize back. And then as it happens when you go abroad and you study abroad and then you your visa expires and you have to come <laughs> back to Mexico. So I had the I had the pleasure and the luck to be honest to be invited to work at the lab for the city. And then at the Lab for the City, which was the um, creative and innovation area of uh, Mexico City's government, 
I was tasked with the challenge to create and lead the Playful City area. And I did that for four years. And my main objective there was to position childhood and play at the center stage of public policy design and decision making. And that's when I delve myself into the child-friendly, playful cities theme, I guess. So I always say that play and public space found me instead of, you know, that that was my goal. I love it. I love I love how you put it. Um, so let's let's go straight into it. Tell us a little bit more about play. Why is it important for children's play and outdoor recreation to be at the center of urban design? And more than that, when we create a city for children, what does it mean for the rest of the population? So there is this um, amazing quote by Gil Peñalosa that says that children are this kind of measurement species in cities. And when a child is able to walk outside and go by themselves to the park and go to school by themselves and basically have daily independence, that means that our cities are healthy and thriving and livable. So why is play important? Because during our first years, every experience that we have either strengthens or weakens a neural connection. We are all born with the same amount of neural connections and depending on uh, the you know the birth lottery and the the things that we are faced with and the experiences that we have whether positive or negative those neural connections strengthens or weakens and then that is the foundation of our person our personality that foundation if it's not strong enough, then all of the other skills, abilities, or knowledge that we acquire during our adulthood, then they are in, you know, this like wobbly foundations. So then true play is that children create their personality. It is how they find their place in society, in the environment they are at, you know, in their school, at the park, in their families. And that's how we develop our personalities, our sense of individuals. Yeah. And our sense of belonging in a community, right? Of course. Yes, of course. Now, what, what does it mean? Like, when you create a city for children, what does it mean for adults? Um, well, it should mean that we play more. <laughs> but um, no, it just it means... So when, when you think of a child going through a city then um, they they face you know various barriers or difficulties so we need to make a city safe for them to you know walk around safely by themselves so basically it means that we need to have a length of our sidewalks we need to have a um, you know safe crossings we need to have spaces to rest because a child won't walk as long as an adult. We need to have shade areas. And all of those 
help or aid the city experience of many others. You know, elderly people, people with disabilities, uh, a mom, you know, with a, with with a, a stroller, trolley yeah. or a dad holding a baby or, you know, someone that's going to work cycling. So basically, when we design cities from a play and childhood's perspective, we are actually integrating so many other perspectives into how we experience the city. Yeah, and that I would even say experiences that, as you said, since we as adults don't play as much and we like to believe we are these serious people, we, we put them in the background when designing a city for like an able-bodied adult, right? We're like, shade. Men. Men. An able-bodied yeah. men. <laughs> shade, who needs that? Wide um, streets for for a pedestrian. I'm a strong man. I can handle being around cars. I'm only going from A to B. No, that's what we need to think. So the experience of a city from various people is different. So sometimes a person might go from A to B to C to D to, I don't know. To A, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then you just go back and forth. It's not like one line, one straight line. Now, you wrote several books, um, such as Urban Play and Playing Together, that have very concrete tools for public space designers to create these places for, for play and for recreation and for designing cities for children. What do you think? I know that this is a bit of a trick question because you wrote two entire books about it and <laughs> many more. <laughs> but what are the first crucial steps, in your opinion, to create an urban space and a city for children and for play? Um, as you said, I think the first the first step is to remember how to play, to remember that we need to enjoy life, to remember that it is good to laugh every day and just, you know, spend some time with our friends, with our family, in the grass, on the grass, under a tree, you know, seeing the the seeing the seasons change. We need to remember that we were curious one time and once we get that, then we want to create that same experience for others and for us, to be honest, and for us as well. Um, So there are so many challenges, but I think that to be open-minded about after a pandemic, if we haven't learned that we need to enjoy life and create environments to enjoy our life and not just, you know, be working bees, then if we didn't learn that, then we, we didn't go through that Oof, pandemic. That is that is so true. And, you know, I think as a young professional myself, I can also attest to the idea that with climate change, we don't know how much we're going to have of a livable city. So we, we better learn to enjoy the, the time we have in under these conditions, right? But that's the thing. The more, the more that we understand that we need to heal our relationship with nature and our relationship with other humans, the more we're going to do to extend that period that we have left. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm going to pivot a little bit towards um, different perspectives again. So designing a city for children 
also implies designing a city with a gender perspective or a gender lens. How does this gender lens seep into the design of public space, but also the management of public space and the public space professions and the park professions? Well, that's a long question. It is. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so, I don't think I can speak for all of the countries or all of the cultures, but I can speak f from the Mexican experience and probably without generalizing too much, the Latin American experience where the majority of our countries are very patriarchal and are very soccer centric right so you were saying earlier how cities used to be designed for you know a white man going through it from house to work and back so the city was created with that that one person on the, or that one profile of a person in mind so then who plays soccer or football as we say in Mexico it used to be a sport uh, played by men mostly we saw yesterday with the Tigres winning uh, that now it's also a women's um, sport but the sports court or the football court what tells us is that only the people that relate with interacting with other people in a struggle of power are the ones that belong there. So that when you translate it into um, schoolyards here in Mexico, the majority of the schoolyards or courtyards have a football court. They do. And they usually take over the entire space. So basically, when children go out to their recess, the children that don't relate to that interaction of power, they usually go to the sides of the court. And, you know, I don't relate with that. So I usually, I used to go to those, you know, you go to the corners, basically, yeah. and you enjoy a small space with other people that you yeah know, you chat about are you not into football you basically. look at rocks <laughs> and you you know you you dodge the bullets and that's that's your recess basically when you do that every day every day every day and there is just a small group of people in this case or in this scenario those who play football they are the ones saying who gets to enjoy the space or the majority of the space and who doesn't. And if you do that every day, it just becomes habit. So basically when we go outside to the city, to the public space, we have that relation ingrained in our brains. And basically what happens is that a minority takes over the majority of public space. And we don't say anything about it. Us that don't relate to that, you know, game of power. Yeah. We used to not say anything. But I think now things are changing. Because 
not only women are tired to hear how we are supposed to enjoy public space, where are we supposed to enjoy public space. So we are we are living a time of change, but that change starts in this in in the courtyard of schools. When we when we start to see a change there is when we'll see a change out in the city in public space. Wow, I love the analogy and I think it is so true as you say when we move into the public space and in a lot of Latin American conversations that we're so used to living somebody else's experience yeah. of the public space and somebody else's um, like fit. We're, we're living in someone else's shoes almost. Yeah, and what happens, you know, when you go and do participatory um, processes with communities, usually people ask for a football court. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that's like, that's one of the things that they ask. Sometimes they don't fit because you don't have enough space, but sometimes you need to negotiate and make the community to realize that, you know what, it, I don't know, it's a hundred of us. Why would I use 80% of the space for only 20 people? Yeah. What about the other 80? Exactly. So we need to learn how to democratize our space again. I love it. I love it. And then a little bit in relation to that, when we are talking then about building more equitable cities, cities for children, cities for women, who do you think is currently missing a seat at the table? Who is absent in these conversations or in this planning process? I mean, it depends. <clears throat> it depends on the on where are we having these discussions. We're having them you know, at high levels of decision-making, definitely we're missing the voice of children, we're missing the voice of many activist women, we're missing many, many voices. If we're talking about discussions at the community level, say at a grassroots process, um, the voices that sometimes, you know, fall through the cracks are the elderly, the people with disabilities, indigenous communities, and sometimes I think people that work I, at night. Okay, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, this came from a friend, but yeah, so there are a lot of people that, you know, work different as, you know, what we could say standard. Uh, so they work at night, they don't have to be um, only women, but there are a lot of people that work during the nighttime and usually during the daytime are resting. So even if they are in the communities or the houses, they are in the resting mode. So they, are, they basically enjoy the city in a very different way. So I think they are missing from the table as well. And I'm probably, you know, forgetting some some yeah. people. Um, it really depends on every community that you go to, which is why we can. And this this might be tricky, but I don't think we can standardize yeah. how we transform, you know, public spaces. It needs to be on one to one basis. 
I love that because that was going to be my very next question. How do we then transform public spaces? Um, so then I agree with you completely. I think even though there are some common set of guidelines or rules or common shared experiences, it very much depends on your community and your local space. Um, but then how or what are some of the tools that we can use in this construction of a more equitable city that maybe we do share? Um, I think one of them would be to spread the word more, which is why the work that the World Urban Parks does is amazing. Uh, so we need to we need to transform more people into this revolution because we are not enough, definitely. And transformation takes time. I think that is one of the main things we need to realize. Transformation doesn't happen from one day to the other. You don't get, you don't gain community's trust in one day or just one off play day or one workshop. You need to work with them, you know, take them by the hand and help them in the process. So one of the resources would be time. Another one would be an understanding of how to how to work with communities because I've seen so many projects trying to impose ideas yeah. and we we definitely hate doing that because when you you know when you arrive as an alien into a community and you impose your ideas you know it's colonialism again <laughs> all over again um, so let's not do that Let's try to hear the voice, the voices of the communities. Let's be humble about how we arrive there. And sometimes you're going to find communities that they're going to say, you know what, I really don't want your help. Yeah. And you need to respect that because if you don't, and again, you impose your ideas, then you're not being true to the work. So you work, you're talking about all of this transformation and all this change. Let's imagine... Uh, utopian future what would a utopian city for children look like oh that's a good question um or when you go to sleep <laughs> what do you dream <laughs> with um no i think so a child-friendly and playful city is a city where we have a series of moments so we don't have only destinations we have moments throughout the city where we can pause and play and relax okay. and just enjoy five minutes of like you know forget about all of the stress and just yeah. i don't know like a like a little piano on the sidewalk Something. a little silly walk exactly. a bit of a bit of experience of just existing and not just exactly you know. but also those um nudges in the city that help us realize that it's okay to play because you know children they are they are not ashamed of playing around or playing in the city but adults we have forgotten how to play as i said how to pause but if we have something to nudge us you know if we put like um like a playful sculpture or something on a on a wall or something that gives us the permission to be silly yeah. and playful 
And if you find others there that are, you know, the whatever intervention gets their attention and then they play with you, then it's like, okay, yes, we're being mischievous together. <laughs> it's fine. I love that. And then I think there's something so important about adults losing shame, right? Like losing yeah. the ability to feel shame because we're surrounded by a world and by standards that are telling us how to act and how it's appropriate to behave. And we we have all this propaganda of, you know, being an adult and being serious. So I, I love what you discuss about this ability to be silly without repercussion and have a little bit of a a. a an inner child that you are healing your inner child after all right basically so i had a workshop this morning about um urban play and i made 12 adults grown adults play and it was it was loads of fun and one of the things that i was telling them that we were discussing was that when you do it with others again with our community you allow yourself to be silly and sometimes so for example people that bike around the city or that skate around the city they have their props you know a bike is a prop a skate is a prop children don't need props don't usually need props adults we need that kind of community allowance to be playful and be silly in public space usually you don't you don't see one person being silly, but if you see maybe a couple or two friends or a group of three friends, then they allow themselves to be silly. And that's what we want to achieve. I love it. Um, So before we wrap up one last question, from your personal and professional experience, what would you say is the biggest benefit that a park and a public space can provide for the people on the planet? Oh, wow. It's <laughs> like a like a giant, it's a it's a hardest like question. A ginormous yeah. list. Um, just one. Just the one. It's a trick question. I it know. is a trick question. To remember to climb a tree. Oh, okay. I love it. I think if we all had the ability or the possibility to climb a tree. We would be less stressed. We would be more playful. We would have opportunities to talk with other generations, either to learn from our grandparents on how they used to climb a tree, or to to you know teach um, I don't know in my case my nephew how to climb a tree. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, before we finish this podcast finally where can people find more of your work more of the work your organization does where can people reach out yes you can find us on instagram at masia studio and we are at www.masiastudio.com and you can find me in on instagram at leti lozano Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been Pod Parks. We hope to see you again very, very soon. Thank you for having me. This is the end of our first interview for Pod Parks. Next week, we will continue to discuss how the role of parks has evolved into the 21st century and how parks are managed today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. 
And please do leave us a review to help us reach a lot more park enthusiasts like yourself. If you want to get involved and get connected with park professionals around the world, visit worldurbanparks.org. A quick reminder if you're already a member, this is only one of many resources available to you in the member platform. So you can find communities, a digital library, a directory of park professionals. And if you're not yet a member, I invite you to become a part of this global organization. Before we wrap up, I'd love to know, when was the last time you played outdoors and, you know, you giggled like a child? I dare you to go and rediscover your nearest playground. Thank you for listening to Pod Parks by World Urban Parks. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landin, produced by Vitoria Martin and Luis Roman, sound engineering by Vladimir Yanez. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our online community has for you. Get out. Explore. Connect.